it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon Silence crippling confusion and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 68. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about the balance sheet and give a kind of a brief overview of that. We're also going to talk a little bit about some ratios that you can derive from the balance sheet. So this will be a great primer that you can use to look at 10Ks, 10Qs, and also kind of combine it with the cash flow statement analysis that we did a while back. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew and he's going to start us off. So that cash flow statement episode you were talking about, that's episode 17. We went super in depth into that one, but it was a good overview on the different financial statements and some of the key things you can kind of pull out from that. Last week, we talked about basically earnings and what companies do when they get earnings. So we talked about how they can reinvest in the business, they can hold the cash, they can pay out dividends, or they can do shy, um, shy. They can do share buybacks. The other thing they could do, which uh, I forgot to mention, is they can use that cash and use those earnings to pay down debt. And so I think that's something we should focus on today. I I am very, very anti-debt. I don't like to invest in businesses that load on a lot of debt. And so 
on the flip side of that, when I see a stock where management has decided to aggressively pay down their debt, they see using current profits to you're essentially, you know, not necessarily worrying too much about the short term. You're, you're really taking a long term approach. And so I really like that when, when a stock is doing that. The last e-leather pick that just went out yesterday had a stock that really did that aggressively. And so that's something I like to see. And I'll kind of give an overview, right? So what the balance sheet is, how do you look at a balance sheet? Obviously, it's very, very confusing. But is there a way to, for somebody who's not an accountant, somebody who's just an everyday person, can they really understand what a balance sheet is? I believe you can. Hopefully, this episode will help you do that. So turn it back to you, Dave. Uh, if you could break down the balance sheet and give us the most simplest overview of what it is, like if I had to pick three lines from the balance sheet that I want to know, which would they be and why? Three main, I guess, compartments or, you know, yeah, compartments is probably the easiest way for me to look at it. It simply boils down to assets liabilities and shareholders equity at a specific point in time. So when you look at a balance sheet, it's actually a snapshot of what the company owns, what it owes and what it's worth at that particular time. So if we pick today, which is August 2nd, then the balance sheet of, you know, company a would be, have all those items listed in it. So assets are simply things that generate money for the company whether it's products, whether it's inventory, whether it's a physical building, you know, there's all these different aspects that you can really dive into. Liabilities is what you owe people. So when you buy things, you order stuff and you wait 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it may be, whatever your contract is to pay those back, those are liabilities because those are monies that you have that you have to give to somebody for a product or service that you've purchased. And then shareholders equity obviously is what the equity of the company is worth. And all those things add up into the balance sheet. Now, part of the sheet. So when you look at a balance sheet, the first thing you're going to see are all the different assets. And that includes cash and cash equivalents and all the other assets that we talked about. Then the next section is going to consider contain the liabilities. And again, that's all the stuff you owe people. And then right below that is the shareholders equity. Now the balance, so the balance sheet, well, the reason why they have to call it, they call it a balance sheet is because the assets has to match the liabilities and the shareholders' equity. Those two sections, even though there's three parts to it, those two sections, assets, liabilities, shareholders' equity, they all have to equal each other. So the assets have to equal the liabilities and the shareholders' equity. And that's really kind of how it breaks down. Now, there are obviously some very specific things that you can look at in the balance sheet under the assets and under the liabilities and under the shareholders' equity. And we can talk about those maybe sometime in the future, but today we just kind of wanted to give you a more of a snapshot of kind of how that works. So when you look at the balance sheet, those are really the main three items that you're looking for. What are the company, what are their assets? So how are they making money? What are the liabilities? Who do they owe and how much do they owe? And a shareholder's equity, how much is a company worth? So that's really kind of how it breaks down. And I think that's key. 
and something that gets lost a lot. And I think that makes the balance sheet confusing. And then once you understand this part of it, then it really, that's kind of when it made sense to me. So I'm just going to highlight it and just repeat what you said, Dave. And basically it is that all that shareholders equity is, is the difference between your assets and your liabilities. So if you have more assets than you have liabilities, then you have a positive shareholders equity. In the value investing world, you'll hear shareholders equity is also referred to as book value. And so a big way that you can think about shareholders equity, if it's really assets minus liabilities, then it's the same as a regular person who has assets and liabilities. And in that sense, the difference between your assets and your liabilities is your net worth. And when I put that connection together, that shareholders equity kind of really tells you like what what the net worth of a company is. It's not obviously, <laughs> it's not as simple as saying, well, that's the valuation. That's what the company's worth. Uh, there's more to that. But um, from a basic premise, you can say that if the company were to completely, let's say tomorrow, all business shut down and you had to give back the, you had to give back to owners everything that the company is worth, you would liquidate the assets, divvy those up, pay off the liabilities. What you would have left is a shareholder's equity. And that would be the total value of the business. I also want to make the distinction that when it comes to assets, you can break them down into two main categories. So you have income producing assets and non-income producing assets. If I go back and circle around to taking the average person, right? An asset can be anything that helps you make money. So let's say you drive to a job and you have to commute. You can say that your car is a income producing asset because it helps you eventually earn a paycheck. Maybe you can fight me on that. I don't know. Uh, I think it's a simple way to look at it. Another example would be if you work from home and you have a computer with uh, an internet connection, you know, at least the computer itself would be an asset. And you, if you use it to create income by working on the computer, then it's an income producing asset. Examples of a non-income producing asset would be like straight up cash, or you could say like someone's clothes could be a non-income producing asset in the sense that essentially if you can trade it for cash, I th- I believe that you can consider it an asset because if you can trade it for cash, then trade it for cash and then you can use that cash to either buy an income producing asset or just have it sit in your bank account. And it still counts as, as an asset, as a piece of cash, and that's going to up your net worth. So those are kind of the different ways you can think about assets. When it comes to like a particular balance sheet, they have cash and cash equivalents on the balance sheet. They'll also show things like short-term investments. They'll show things like marketable securities. We've talked about marketable securities in the past, but you know, just like an everyday person can go out and buy stocks. A business can go out and buy stocks. Warren Buffett buys stocks through Berkshire Hathaway, which is his corporation that he uses their cash to buy stocks. So if you start to think of the balance sheet in that way, it's simply what people, what they own, what a corporation owns. And either it has 
of value, it has a resale value and exchange value, or it creates income in some way, then it's most likely going to be in the balance sheet. The next kind of thing I wanted to go over when it comes to the balance sheet, uh, we've talked about the assets. What's important to talk about next is the liabilities and something that, again, I think it gets lost. And this is something not even beginners might not understand the complexity or the implications that this has. But I believe a lot of like good investors, I, I believe a lot of investors who initially have good results, I believe a lot of investors who are maybe very aggressive, they don't truly understand how debt can really cripple a business and how much debt really tells you about the health of a business. And when I say the health, I'm really talking about the long-term health. You know, It's easy to say that business is healthy when things are going well and when the economy is booming, well, every business is doing well. That's not going to be hard to find. But when things kind of tighten up, the belt tightens, expenses need to be cut, earnings go down, you know, profits are down, people aren't at the malls, all the sorts of things, then that's when you'll start to see who really has the strong business, who really has the healthy financials, who has the strong balance sheet, and who has a solid foundation versus who doesn't. And so I talked about this on a daily email the other day. And I kind of broke it down and I used like a hypothetical. Uh, I won't get into the exact numbers because that's going to be hard to follow in a podcast. But I used like just a random number. I took like an average return on equity. So like 15%. Um, and then using that, I I used... Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, 
I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I calculated an earnings number and then I looked at debt to equity and I tried to show that a high debt to equity will actually make it hard for a business to retain any sort of profits. So again, if we go back to what we talked about last week, a company will make profits and then they will have various options that they can use for those profits. But you know, if they have a lot of debt and they're having to make a lot of debt payments, then instead of being able to give the money back to shareholders, instead of being able to reinvest in the business, instead of being able to pay off debt, they actually have to use those earnings to just make their debt payments. And that's going to really cripple, if you think about it, that really cripples the long-term health of the business because it's not going to have the ability to really grow earnings like a business who has little debt. And you know, let's compare two businesses, right? One business has a lot of debt with high debt payments. They might make a lot of earnings, but if 75% of those earnings are going back to pay off debt, then they only have 25% of their earnings to really use and compound and you know use to buy more assets, which can make more profits. You go on the flip side and, and you look at a company who might not have like super strong earnings at the outset, but if they have little amounts of debt, they can basically cash flow all of their profits. Let's say they're reinvesting 90% of those profits back in the business. Well, you're going to almost double your amount of business every year. if You can keep the same amount of return on equity and, and you're buying new income producing assets. You can really start to see some accelerated growth and, and really see some compounding work. It's magic within a business when you have low debt levels. So um, there's a couple ways you can calculate debt to equity. Uh, in, in the example with the daily email, I use long-term debt to equity. I found something as small as like a 2.0 long-term debt to equity meant that if you took like an average 5% interest rate on a business loan, and you can do all of this on your own with like a business loan calculator, and then you can do hypothetical amounts and, and like a 5% interest rate. Basically, what I found if somebody has an average return on equity, they have a long-term debt to equity of 2.0, they're not going to make enough in earnings to even pay their monthly payment on their on their long-term debt. So that's going to be really problematic. Obviously, not sustainable. I don't know how you get growth from that. And so looking at the balance sheet can really help you not to say it's a perfect measure, but I think if you stack all the all the odds in your favor, you put all the best cards in your hand, then by buying by buying stocks with these balance sheets that have little amounts of debt, I think that really prepares you for over the long term. You might not see it in a year, you might not see it in two years, but over the long term, a company with lower debt will probably have a higher ability to compound their earnings, a higher ability to really maintain a higher amount of retained earnings. And that can do huge things for the stock price, for the earnings, for the growth of the business, all those sorts of things 
for the very, very long term. And I don't really see it talked about a lot. And so I, I know I always focus on, well, high debt is very risky and, and it leads to bankruptcies and nobody wants to hear that. So let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about growth and understand that in the same way that it can really cripple a business when it's struggling, it can really hinder growth even when the company is doing well because it just makes sense. Like if you just as like a quick aside, if you look at the accounting tax rules on, on the ways that they the ways that they have to make um payments on their um loans, so they have like interest expense, and so the interest part is able to be taken off the PL, but the principal part that they're paying off on the debt has to come out of earnings. So essentially what that means is everything I've been talking about up to now. If a company has a lot of debt, if they're making high debt payments, that's lowering their overall profitability. And so you want to talk about growth? Let's talk about growth. I want to be in businesses with low debt levels because those will have higher amounts of reinvestment available to potentially grow much higher, much faster, and much uh, at a a much better scale over the long term. And you won't see that from year to year. And I think that's why... It's really not talked about a lot. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. Uh, I would definitely agree with that. I think uh, not looking at the debt and how it works, I think that's fascinating. I had honestly never thought of that before about the calculations of looking at what the payment would be and whether they have enough earnings to cover that. That was actually kind of fascinating. Uh, I think that was a very astute observation you made. It was so, original course, too. I didn't take that from a book or anybody. That's original. <laughs> they so, just made that. So you got that figured that out. That's, that's, yeah, that started moving. Um, so I guess my question for you then is we've talked, we've talked before about uh, debt to equity ratios. So when you calculate a debt to equity ratio, do you look at, do you combine the short-term and the long-term debt or do you just look at the long-term debt or do you just look at the short-term debt? Okay. So this, this can be tricky because you ask five people, they're going to give you five different answers. You look at five different websites and give you five different answers. Right. The debt to equity ratio is essentially trying to relate how much debt a company has and you compare it to their shareholders equity or their book value. And you want to have, obviously, a lower debt-to-equity ratio is better because that says you have less debt, you have more assets to cover your debt. Um, the way I calculate it is I just take all of the liabilities and I take all of the shareholders' equity, and that's how I calculate it. So it's very, very simple. Right. I'm, not look, I'm not digging into the, the balance sheet because you have all these sorts of different like you said, short-term debt, long-term debt, you got expense this, expense that, all these different line items. In my mind, I want to find businesses that have good business models where they don't need to be paying out a lot. You know, you could have a business that is $500 billion, but if it takes them $499 billion because they have to build all these expensive factories, they have to hire a bunch of lawyers and, and expensive workers to, to be on their force. Well, that's that's not a lot of profit, right? So we want to stay away from businesses mm-hmm. like that. And that's why I take a conservative approach. But I think as an investor who's kind of navigating the the metrics and, and trying to learn 
what these balance sheet ratios are, uh, you have to understand that everybody's going to calculate it a little bit differently. I think a very common way to calculate debt to equity is to take the long-term debt and then they just, all these debt to equity ratios, you're just taking the debt on the top part, you're dividing it by the equity on the bottom part and that's your ratio. What they're doing is they're taking like long-term debt and then they're comparing that to equity. So that's what I did in my daily email just to show you how, because the long-term debt was easy, right? Like a long-term debt would be something like a bond and bond rates historically have been somewhere four or five, 6%. I mean, they they fluctuate a lot, but that's kind of a safe range of, of a historical bond rate. So that's why I was able to come up with like a monthly bond payment that, that a company would be making. But a lot of these, I think Finviz's um, debt to equity ratio uses long-term debt. And so, you know, it kind of makes sense because um, some business models are different and like short-term debt, usually you won't be paying a lot of interest on it, right? So people want to, they want to figure out which businesses are, are paying a lot in interest and, and they're trying to stay away from those by using long-term debt to equity. So that makes sense right. to a degree, but kind of like the way we we always talk about on the podcast, right? Invest right. with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. We're always trying to get the steepest discounts to intrinsic value, the most solid businesses with the greatest competitive advantages, the most strongest balance sheets we can find. And so I'm always conservative with my calculations. And this is one example of that. And that's kind of why. And I, I, and, uh, you know, I think I thank you for explaining that. I, to me, that makes complete sense because when you look at the liabilities on a balance sheet, you're really looking at short, you know, what they call current liabilities and long-term liabilities. But if you're looking at all of them, it's all it's all money that somebody has to pay at some point. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, and it doesn't just, you know, you know, I as a banker think of debt as a loan and it's more than that it's more than you know just you know the you know the five hundred dollars you borrow from somebody you got to pay it back it's more than that it's the interest that you earn on that but it's also things like rent and taxes and wages and dividends you know when all the companies that we talk about you know they they have dividends that are payable and so that has to come from somewhere and that's money that's being taken out of earnings to be given to us and that's a debt you know that's a liability uh, that's not money the company gets to keep and use for their own purposes whether it's you know lining the ceo's pocket or you know using it to reinvest in the company and to me that's a liability and it should be calculated as part of a debt to equity because it's debt you know and so many people, I think, think of debt as, as a loan, and that's all they think of. And I, I like the way that you explain that and looking at the total package of liabilities of all the different things, you know, deferred tax liabilities. So let's say that the company doesn't pay all their taxes one year while well, they're setting aside money to pay it in the future, whether it's long term or short term, but that's still money they can't use. It's, it's still a debt. It's whether they've paid it or not, it's still money that they owe to the government and it's it's certainly a liability. And so I think the way that you calculate it to me is by far the most conservative. And I really, really like that idea because as you said, it it helps with the margin of safety. 
And I guess, you know, talking about ratios, we've obviously delved quite deeply into the debt to equity. Let's talk a little bit more about some other ones. So tell me a little bit about price to book and price to cash. Yeah. So when it comes to the balance sheet ratios, these are the other ones you can calculate and they're pretty simple, pretty easy. We mentioned earlier, book value is the same as shareholders equity. So if you want to take price to book, that's one of the valuation metrics. We talked all about valuation metrics in one of the previous episodes. We gave like a guide and kind of gave an overview of why they are important. So I won't go all into the nitty gritty about that. That was episode um, episode 11. That had all the price-based valuation metrics that we're talking about. So price to book, price to cash, those both. Those both are discussed in depth in episode 11, but you can just look at the balance sheet and calculate it very simply. All you need is just like the debt to equity is debt divided by equity, price to book is debt divided by book value. So you would you would find the book value by looking on the balance sheet, looking at the shareholders equity, that's your book value. And then you could take the market capitalization, which is um, the price of a company times its shares outstanding. So there's there's two ways you can do it. You can do price the price of the share price uh divided by the book value per share or if if you're looking at the complete picture then you add the shares outstanding and you would get the market cap divided by the book value. If that's something that doesn't make sense to you then um check out the blog and I go over that in depth it might be easier to learn over text. And then price to cash is is really the same way. One of the line items in the balance sheet is cash and cash equivalents. It's that same line item that I use when I'm calculating net cash from the cash flow statement. So if you go back to episode 17, we talked about the cash flow statement. I talked about why I like to use price to cash. Um, And so I call it net cash. They also call it cash at the end of the year on the cash flow statement. And it's referred to in the balance sheet as cash and cash equivalents. And so in the very same way, you can take for the price part on the top, you take market capitalization on the bottom. You just take cash and cash equivalents from the balance sheet. And that gives you the price to cash ratio. And so those are three really great metrics that you can use to find businesses that A, are strong fundamentally. They don't have too many liabilities. So they're not too overloaded with debt. They won't have liquidity problems if things go bad. And they'll have greater chances to kind of grow and compound their wealth over time. And then the second one, price to book, helps you find, you know, helps you pay a fair price, buying with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, getting a a discount on that intrinsic value. So a price to book makes sure you're getting a lot of assets for what you're paying for, for whatever the stock's trading at at the time. And then price to cash, same thing. Just make sure you're buying businesses that have a decent amount of cash because you don't want a business that just reinvests everything and has no cash because if things go bad or even like if an opportunity shows up where they they could have acquired a great business, but they have no cash to do it, either they're going to have to take out debt or they're going to have to pass on the opportunity. So it's good to have at least a reasonable amount of cash that a company can have. And so price to cash makes sure that you're buying companies that aren't too expensive and that have decent amount of cash in their coffers, if you will. And so, so those are the three main ones. 
that you can calculate using the balance sheet. And I believe that will cover like 95% of what you really need to know when it comes to looking at the balance sheet, making simple observations and making a basic analysis and figuring out if it's strong, if it's weak, if you like it or if you don't. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion on balance sheet and some of the different ratios that you can derive from it. Hope you enjoyed our overview. And if you had any questions about the balance sheet, please reach out to us and let us know. We'd love to give you a little more guidance on that. There is so much that you can dig into on all the different financial statements when you're looking at a company. And this is just kind of an overview uh, of the balance sheet. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week. Go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. And we'll talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 